Welcome to the last lap podcast. Welcome to the last lap podcast. Welcome everybody to the Last Lap Podcast. I'm your host Andrew Pearson and alongside me as always is my faithful co-host Sean Gray. Hello. And joining us who is turning into something of a faithful uh, guest on the show, uh, Nikki Holdenby. Hello. This is two in a row now. Uh, it's amazing. Consistency. Uh, this is the first time you've ever done two in a row. I think it might be. <laughs> Excellent. Well, oh, I like it. I like it. Um, we are here to <laughs> talk about the Spanish Grand Prix. Uh, I, I, I'll precede all of this by saying I don't expect this to be a very long show. Uh, <laughs> so you might want to get your stopwatch timing now to see if we make some kind of record out of this. But the other thing that I'll say is that we completely predicted this at the end of the last show, didn't we? We did, yeah. It was, it was all right for the first lap or so. <laughs> first couple of corners were quite eventful and then yes off a bit. <laughs> just a little bit uh so um let's start with the most interesting thing that happened in the entire grand prix uh which was apparently roman grosjean forgetting which pedal makes it go fast and which pe- pedal makes it go slow he's not doing himself any favors is he? <laughs> <laughs> coming out of um Coming out of Baku, uh, and 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 Marcus Ericsson nowhere to be seen at this point. So not not even not even blaming it on him this time. I, I don't know. I mean, it was to give him to try and give him the benefit of the doubt. It was it was obviously a green track. He wasn't the only one sliding about the place going into turn three. He was, however, the only one to <laughs> leave it pointing in the wrong direction and, for bonus points, create a massive cloud of smoke uh, for 10 drivers to drive through. So, yeah. Maybe he was just trying to be a magician, making his house disappear. <laughs> Hang on, smart. He, well, nearly did a, he did a very good job, realistically. Uh, quite a lot of it disappeared into shards of carbon fibre across the track. He's had lots of practice making his points finishes disappear. So <laughs> I think he's got zero, has he? And Kevin Magnussen's yeah. got 19 or something. So, yeah, he's not doing himself any favours. People talking about um, replacing him already, which is quite remarkable, actually, for a guy who in the last couple of years we've sort of said... Oh, this guy, you know, Grosjean's putting some performances together. He's getting consistent. Is he going to be the next guy to make the jump up to a top team? And now suddenly, within three or four months of the start of this season, it's, it's is this guy going to have a job come come the summer? So, uh, Well, I, it's probably not aided by the fact that, um, you know, they've got uh, at Ferrari hanging around. They've obviously got Giovinazzi hanging around, kind of not not really doing as much as they probably want him to do you know he's he's done nearly 300 laps in the uh in the post barcelona test um and was was fairly quick doing that so there's there's clearly somebody there that could be taking his place uh should ferrari say mm, yeah you know you know all of those bits and pieces we give you <laughs> <laughs> we'd like to give you a bit of our piece and put it in that the driver's um, seat if you don't mind that was going to be my next question do you think Grosjean's position is 
less secure now that they have such a strong relationship with Ferrari than it would have been a year ago when that relationship wasn't as developed as it is now. It, it, it kind of gives Ferrari perhaps a little bit more weight to say, this is what we want, you know? Um, and you've got Leclerc, who's tearing it up at Sauber, to be honest. He's, he's two, two really solid weekends in a row for Charles Leclerc. But even a move from Leclerc to, into the Haas would, would be a step up for him. That Haas is clearly capable of getting points pretty much on every every track every week, which the Sauber isn't. It's better than it was, but it isn't something that you'd expect to be in the points every single week. So even sticking Leclerc in the Haas and, and showing what you can do in a, in a marginally quicker car, so threats to Grosjean from all all sides, really. Um, I'm really surprised we've, we're, we're saying that. I genuinely, anybody who knows who knows my opinion on Grosjean will know I'm, I, I'm, I've been a long-time fan of him. And I, I don't know, what's he doing? Like I'm looking at him like, like, come on, man. Like, it's a mate who's drunk come out of a club. Like, come on, get yourself together and get up the road, you know? Like, what's happened to you? I can't remember a time when... A driver's had such a massive downturn in performance over a winter break. Because he was doing all right towards the end of last year. <laughs> what happened? Like, he wrote a cookbook. Maybe that's had some influence on him. Well, he's he's definitely... Um, it's I guess it's funny, isn't it, that uh, his teammate is obviously Kevin Magnussen, who's come under a fair amount of criticism recently. But it's difficult to suggest that actually Magnussen's general racing is not quite, you know, quite a long way ahead of where his teammate appears to be at the moment. Um, Magnussen's an odd one at the moment because he is having really strong races, but at the same time, there's that sort of, un, I don't know, he's just making little errors, isn't he? That's not doing himself any favours. Like, a top team wouldn't work with him based on the mistakes that he's making at the moment that like forcing people into walls and stuff yeah the aggressive style is not what you want when you're a top team looking and at the moment it's top teams looking for for second drives isn't it there's not a it's not top team looking for somebody to go first where you might say well up, up at the front if he's that aggressive those things are and more tolerated might not be the same, not be right, but it, it's like if you see Vettel or Hamilton or anybody who's sort of being that kind of aggressive, you, you tend to say, oh, well, they're fighting for race wins. You know, it's all elbows out and all, all's fair in love and war. Whereas, you know, when you're doing it to Pierre Gasly at the end of a Baku race where neither of you are really fighting for anything, it, it, it feels more unnecessary. Yeah. So yeah. I don't know if that sort of features along what you're kind of thinking as well, Nicky? Yeah, I, w- I was just thinking about um, Leclerc then as well. If you were Leclerc, would you rather be a second driver at Ferrari in your second year or make a step up to Haas in your second year? Which is a better option? Well, see, uh, uh, m- funny enough, that was going to be my sort of follow-up point was thinking, I wonder if Leclerc has more of a chance of just sort of bypassing the the Haas straight to Kimi's seat, given how sort of impressive he's been so far uh, and assuming that he continues it for the rest of this season. Um, I think it's clear Leclerc has as 
good a chance of doing that than in a Ferrari as anybody has for for a very very long time. Um, Ferrari aren't known for immediately sticking a guy who's only had one year's experience in their car. They just don't really do that very often. Um, I think Leclerc's the it shows how special he is that he, that that he's been linked with that already, and it, yeah, it wouldn't surprise me at all if they did it, which is a mark of his talent. And I I think that that's the other thing that then gives you more. I suppose that that helps Roman in some way because if they are considering that, then um, the spare Sauber seat is probably going to Giovinazzi, isn't it? At, at yeah, that point, I think so. Yeah, um, which might you know might leave Haas with slightly less on their plate in terms of um, options that, that Ferrari might want to go for, unless they, you know, unless they feel they've got other options that the Sauber is a better fit for um, and they want to see uh, Giovinazzi in a car that's closer to the sort of front-running pace, if you see what I mean, because obviously the Haas is, is running well at the moment. And again, assuming that continues, that seat feels more like a you know, let's put a driver in here that we've got some faith can can achieve stuff and see how they do when they've got the pressure of racing wheel to wheel as opposed to the Sauber, which although I must admit in the last couple of races has shown itself to be seemingly a fairly decent race car. Um but it's not it's not really a sharp end car. It's always going to be coming from the back um back up depending on what, what things are going on. Whereas obviously Hass is right in the the center of the or even at the 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 sharp end of the midfield battles. Um so I, I guess it's where they see uh, their junior drivers slotting in and where they want to assess what's going on. But I, I just, I don't know about you guys, I just can't see Leclerc not heading straight into Ferrari. I just, you know, unless there's some reason why Sauber need to get him out, I'm sure Sauber would prefer to keep him until Ferrari are ready rather than give him up to Haas for no particular yeah. reason. The thing is, who else are Ferrari going to get other than someone from within the Young Driver Academy? Like, there's Grosjean, who they're not going to take at the moment. There's Perez, who arguably is worthy of that seat. Um, Danny Rick, but I don't see Danny Rick going there. I don't really think it's a very Danny Rickish team. Um, no. I've, I've said for quite a while that I think Bottas could end up next year. It'd be an interesting one, wouldn't it, really? If, but that, does that really require Mercedes to move him on first, and then, yeah, then Ferrari go well. Ferrari let's swap taking, a fin for a fin. Yeah, Ferrari taking Mercedes leftovers, does, um, and that doesn't feel very Ferrari-ish, does it either? No, yeah, but Bottas has done a more consistent number two job than uh, Kimi Raikkonen over the last season so they'd be better with him in some ways I think I suppose that that's 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 probably true and I, I guess it, it, <laughs> it should be should be something on a CV to say that you've been Lewis Hamil, Hamilton's teammate and not fallen out with him so <laughs> it's a rare thing isn't it it, it, it does appear to be the, the, the case that it's, it, I think well it, it goes to show doesn't it so obviously Lewis likes um compliant Finnish drivers and so does so does Vettel apparently since he wants to keep on mm-hmm. Kimi although I wouldn't necessarily describe Kimi as necessarily being compliant would you? <laughs> it's just Finnish Yes 
definitely we talk about the, uh, the winner then, I suppose. Better not. Well, too long before mentioning him. He's back. Two back-to-back victories. Yes, um, and a, a polar opposite race for him compared to Baku, really, wasn't it? Where the the sort of wind landed in his lap. Um, this time around, the Mercedes was just not uh, not touchable. Uh, yeah, pretty much. That's a good way to describe it as anything. Um, I had quite an optimistic feeling going into qualifying. Vettel seemed like he was sort of quick. Even in the first two sessions in quali, he seemed to be looking like Paul would be well within his grasps. And then Q3, I don't know whether Mercedes turned up the wick or what, but Lewis was, uh, was pretty dominant and then never seen never seen a rival. So uh, where, where do we go from here? Is this Mercedes being, being back as, as the clear, far and away superior team or do you think this was just a, a, a fluke at, at Catalonia that you know a, a track that has historically led to processional racing anyway and obviously the tyre thing as well taken into consideration do you think that, that this is just one a flash in the pan for Mercedes or are you expecting them to be you know 20 seconds a lap over a race distance quicker for the rest of the season now hope not <laughs> I hope not as well. <laughs> I think um, Monaco is not going to be representative. Um, where's after Monaco? Is it Canada after Monaco? Yeah, I think that'll be um... big test Canada because in theory that should be a good Mercedes track. Yeah, would have thought, exactly. but um, yeah, because it, this wasn't good. Let's make no mistake about it. This was uh, this was a tough watch for however many laps. Came after yeah. the second lap. <laughs> to be fair, the writing was kind of on the wall in winter testing with uh, Mercedes being as quick as they were. Like everyone was predicting that they'd dominate based on testing at that track in the winter. So you, and, and it's been a good Mercedes track as well, isn't it? Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It's a yeah, track it's that they good. naturally do well at. Yeah. The only time that they haven't won since 2013 or 2014 is when the drivers took each other out. <laughs> so. Which is interesting because everybody goes on about Mercedes engine, but Catalonia is not exactly necessarily an engine track. It's a, it's probably more of an aero track. Which, I think which, it's which is interesting that Mercedes were so dominant here, and Ferrari and Red Bull were less so. When Mercedes supposedly have the best engine on the grid, and it, it comes back to a few people making comments in the last few weeks that Ferrari, I've seen a few people say Ferrari actually have the best engine on the grid this year. Which was so programmed into thinking that that Mercedes automatically are going to have the best engine that it's actually something worth thinking about. I think whichever I think, way you look at it, they're definitely more equal this year. I I was just going to say I think the thing is is that um, I think what happens is that uh, you you get that. Um, that closing in on performance, so less that um, this is an engine track and why isn't that suited Mercedes? It's more about, I think, how the engines um, sort of apply their power through the cars. And I think sometimes that's that's a point that um, is not easy to see. But you like with the Honda in Bahrain, like why did Toro Rosso suddenly become... 
best of the rest on one track and then have dropped back to being either worst or second to second to worst team realistically or probably second to worst actually because Williams have been dire but um and I think, you know, we, we look at somewhere like Barcelona and say, well, it's a testing circuit. It's a big mixture of stuff. There isn't big, long straights and bits and pieces, but it's also not like a super twisty circuit either, particularly. It's not, um, it's not got the sort of ultra slow, uh, sections, um, where like the, the, the arrow allows that, that consistent speed to, to, to tra- transfer through, so I think probably where the Mercedes engine I think is maybe still better than us is, is is the mappings for where you've got more average tracks. Do you see what I mean? Where the where the lap is more consistent throughout the whole lap, so that there aren't the extremes. Um, and I think it'll be interesting to see what what happens when you see the Mercedes in places like. Um, Monza and Spa and see how they compare to the Ferrari then where you've got um, the sort of extremes of engine performance and to see whether they they step up or drop back on those kind of tracks plus as we know you know Barcelona is a test track everybody knows it like the back of their hand if there's anywhere that Mercedes should have every single engine map and pre-synced data to it it's got to be here isn't it so i'm not i'm not so sure that we'll see it immediately for the next few races i do think we'll see it anywhere where pirelli are going to bring uh, red bull were quick in that sector so that's uh that's looking good for oh absolutely yeah yeah definitely and and for renault in general i think if you know as an as an engine if 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 that's that's where rebel are able to Chucking a load of um, quick quick set to times. Um, I still think that the the new thinner non blistery tyres to some extent help Mercedes here as well, um, because that's it's. I think it's clear that in, in some of the other races they've not been. You know, you hear Lewis complaining about trying to stick to those delta times. You know, what do I need to do? What do I need to do? Because he knows he's got to stick to something that's going to um, save the tyres because he knows that the car kind of chews them a little bit. Um, and here he didn't have to worry about that so much. He could run nicely up the front in clean air and not um, be under a, under pressure to maintain a time to make a pit stop strategy work. And that's been the hallmark of Mercedes wins. That That's how they've done it for the last four years. So. I think any time that that's not going to be the the option for them, it'll be interesting to see how they deal with that as well. Anybody feel any different? Does anybody feel that they really are going to, that you're going to see a different Mercedes in, in Monaco to what we've seen in the past few years where it's been probably one of their, their poorer circuits? No, I, 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 I don't expect to see a particularly quick... Mercedes and Monaco, no. Um, I think the Red Bull will probably be quick there, as is their want. Um, Ferrari, I don't know. Ferrari seem to be a bit of a kind of a half decent everywhere without being, you know, superb anywhere. So, yeah, Monaco will be interesting. But I think, as Nicky said earlier, that's kind of a 
an anomaly a track Canada will be the the one I'm looking to to try and get a real gauge on the Mercedes performance um yeah I don't know it did worry me this weekend but I am prepared to all things considered say this was because it was Barcelona because of the tire thing because of the fact that they tested there so extensively hopefully it's just a kind of one-off and we will get closer racing for the rest of the season I think we will I'm being optimistic Let's not lose our hope yet. No, I'm not losing hope yet. <laughs> so what what are the other things that we kind of we can look at this race and talk about really? Um continued sort of dismal Williams. Any still uh, no light at the end of the tunnel there, really, is there? I mean Kibitza said it was an embarrassment to drive the car, which pretty much sums up my feelings on them for the last several months. Uh, yeah, it's not I mean, good. They were really annoyed with that quote. Like, they thought they were going to get so much good publicity from Kubica being in the car, and then he goes and says it's embarrassing to drive it. <laughs> Just build a better car then. Simple <laughs> as that. You know? um, yeah, it's not in good there. Not... In good news, uh, Savotkin had his best finish, which was 14, even though he still finished last. It was his best finish so far. It's him and, Ro- and Grosjean without any points so far this season as well, isn't it? Mm-hmm. So, I suppose yeah. we'd better have a, a quick talk about a good weekend for Max. You know, on the back of everything that's gone on, more or less. Yeah. I mean, more or, I mean, podium finish, you know. More or less yeah. kept himself out of trouble except running into the back of Lance Stroll and coming, <laughs> out, of the under, coming out of the... Um, the, the safety car of all things, yeah. Yeah, like it's like, I see if he'd had to pit because of that. Can you imagine? Like, and it cost him the race. Uh, uh, the, the publicity would have been everywhere, but because he got away with it and was able to hang on till the end, I suppose that was the one thing that was disappointing for me is that Seb just didn't have any pace whatsoever to even mount a challenge despite Max having damage. That was a little bit frustrating. Um, but the Ferrari just didn't have a pace this weekend at all. Um, seem to be having to pit earlier than everybody else. Just, just no pace, no race pace, which has been the complete polar opposite of the first few Grand Prix. So again, going back to what we're saying about Mercedes, hopefully we'll just put, nip that in the bud as an anomaly, and and we'll be back to to the sort of standard and level we had, and and particularly Bahrain. Um, and Baku, but yeah, that's a, a concerned concerned faces at Ferrari. Um, Seb said a few few things afterwards that just you know people asking him was it the tire switch that that cost him the pace, and he just kind of said look we were slow anyway, probably wouldn't have beaten them regardless of what was what we did. So not not great from from Ferrari point of view, but. One, everyone's allowed a bad weekend and hopefully we can recover from that. It's frustrating that Sebastian's uh, had the problems he had in in Baku and Bahrain where he probably should have won because if he'd managed to convert both of those days to victory then, then we would have been looking at this and went, oh, well, they've just had one bad weekend. It doesn't matter. They're still top of the championship. But because he's, they've kind of shot themselves in the foot a little bit in the last couple of weekends, now... Now they've had a poor weekend on top of that, it kind of compounds the issue, which is a little bit frustrating. But 
long way to go. It is what it is. Hopefully, the uh, normal service will be resumed from Ferrari, and we'll see a battle between him and Lewis, and and hopefully Max as well at, at, at Monaco. That's what we want to see, really, isn't it? Three of them all going at it together. So, absolutely. Uh, an anonymous race from Danny Rick, whose whose real sort of uh, highlight was sort of seemed to be shown about a day after the race, which was um, a sort of mysterious spin out of nowhere that really put him miles behind Max and, and put paid to him having any chance at uh, uh, sort of racing anybody that that race. Um, just an off, uh, another off weekend for for Danny. Just a just something that happens, you know. Not a. Um, I mean, yeah, it's not I mean, like the rebel looked great, particularly, did it? Like the Ferrari, really, it, it never sort of really came to a point where you went, "Oh, you know, yeah, there might be something in this Red Bull." They said what they said, you know, sort of every every weekend so far, which is our race pace is pretty good. Um, People kept saying that, you know, after practice and that, and oh, well, wait till we see this race pace of the Red Bull. And I was like, okay, where is it? You know, it, it didn't transpire. This mysterious race pace I'd, I'd heard was so going to be going to be really solid and you know, challenge, and it just didn't it didn't transpire. So, yeah, nothing to say really about Danny Rick other than he just had a fastest lap by about a second quicker than anybody else <laughs> so he must have come in towards the end of the and, and strapped a fresh set of boots on with no fuel in the car and, and shot a really fast time um, other than that nothing to nothing to say he does have these weekends sometimes and it must just be a mark of that Red Bull where they'll go from you know winning a race earlier a couple of weeks ago to just having a, an absolute forgettable forgettable weekend but I do expect good things out of him at Monaco. I think it will suit the car and the driver there. So, um, the only real overtaking thing that I particularly remember was um, two from from Alonso this weekend. Um, Ocon uh, at the restart and into turn three, which was pretty nice, uh, and his and his little mini battle with um, Leclerc as well. Um, yeah, that was cool. It was cool to see Leclerc and Alonso going. It's like, you know, past and future. I don't think you'll th- thank you for that, particularly Alonso on the, <laughs> the past. You know what I mean, though. You know, yeah, someone no. who's been the best driver of his generation versus someone who could potentially be the best driver of his generation, you know. That was a little cool sort of, all right, you know, moment. Um, and more of that would be great, especially if Leclerc, if Alonso kicks around for another year or two and Leclerc can move on up. Ideally, we'd get Leclerc in the Ferrari and Alonso in a McLaren that's capable of challenging. That'd be something that I think everybody would want to see. But even in even under these circumstances, with uh, Fernando in the McLaren and, and Charles punching that cyber above its weight, I think it's fair to say um, it was it was it was good stuff. That was probably the highlight of the whole Grand Prix for me, seeing those two have a little duel. And it was kind of nice to hear. Um, uh, Charles say after the race, is saying, you know, I think I think I learned more. Um, battling Alonso today than I had in, in any of the races up until now, which is probably true because I suspect you probably do um, you probably do learn about how you know how to overtake, how to defend because he certainly um, I think he showed uh, Charles how you get in front and then how you defend very nicely without it being you know too much. But yeah. all, all that that beautiful thing that Alonso does where he can be. The bit that Kevin Magnussen needs to learn was of being aggressive, but up to a point where you're not, you aren't being aggressive. 
Do, do you know what I mean? That's that's this thing that Alonso manages to do. Is he does things that pe- make people go, "Oh, that was a bit," you know, that might have been that might have been a bit rude. But when you look back at it, you just go, well, "Actually, he didn't really get anywhere near him." And you know, all he did was take up the line and you know do this and do that. Um, and it must be really, it must be quite an education for your drivers to sort of have that happening, kind of to you in front of you from for you to learn the the, yeah. the ultimate best teaching method. Absolutely. I was just thinking that if, if a young driver strolls up to the back of Alonso in a, with a fresh set of boots or a slightly quicker car and, and wants to, to get by him, they're sure as hell going to earn it. <laughs> <You> know, and, <laughs> and, and, and they'll know they'll for next time exactly what to do. You know, So, yeah, absolutely. Can't, can only be a good thing for Charles, which goes to show the benefit of um, these guys getting a gig at Sauber and Tass and, you know, to an extent. Williams, although I'm sure Claire won't. I'm sure they're not learning all that much. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure she. I'm sure Claire Williams won't um, thank me for describing them in such a way when a team of their history, and obviously Toros as well, putting the young drivers in. So yeah, it, it shows the benefit of these guys going in there, and rather than maybe another season in in a lower formula where they're all just doing their very exciting but sometimes reckless chaos that can occur in, in the junior formula oh, absolutely uh so where are we going next is it it's monaco next isn't it it's monaco and then canada. it's random canada. Isn't it? it's, it's canada isn't it can have we worked I out why we go canada. monaco to canada i think we always go monaco to canada do we not i know but why <laughs> um, I mean, it's two, it's two interesting races back to back, but I'm, so I'm not complaining on that front. But it just seems like Canada's always parked there in the middle of the the sort of European season, where obviously Texas and before that Indianapolis were always towards the back end of the season. And it has always kind of struck me as why is Canada so early in the calendar when all the other flyaways are towards the end? So I don't know. Is the answer? Um, but it's one of my it's... talk of the. Sorry, I Sorry, think there's no. some them, um, switching the quarter date to June next year instead of October, so that the Miami race takes the place of the American race Okay, at the moment. I mean, nothing would surprise me with regards to the calendar and stuff at the moment, Will Liberty. You know, they're, they're clearly just finding their feet with what they want to do for and how what direction they want to go in. So if they completely flip-flop the calendar, I would not be surprised at all. So... And it would make sense to put American and the Canada together, you know. It does make sense. Um, so yeah, I guess they, they might look at that. I love Montreal. It's a brilliant racetrack. Mm. It is a truly superb racetrack. Um, like Albert Park for me, and up in terms of my favourites, and just high speeds, but with close walls, you know, and the ability to overtake something for everybody. I think. Um, it's got. I think the thing about Canada is it's got bits that are challenging as well as you know long straight bits to be fast on and places that you can overtake. So having something like the Wall of Champions, where um, you know you have to be on the edge to get the best out of that corner, and every millimeter you back off from it, you know you're slower than somebody else. That's what I like about sort of Canada. It feels like that kind of yeah. you know Risk the braver the you are, the more you get yeah. out of it. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, and this always throws up a barnstormer as well, really. Like, there's not very many ones where you'd think that was a, profesh- a processional dullard, you know? 
I mean, even if you've got Lewis Hamilton 20 seconds clear with 10 laps to go, there could be a safety car at any second, which would spice up the last few laps, or there's always a threat of rain there as well. So Mm -hmm. you never know until they've crossed the line just what's going to happen. And for me, that's the best tracks, you know. I I want there to be tension from lap one to the checkered flag. And there's some tracks on there, Catalonia being one of them, where whoever's leading at the second lap, you can go, well, I can fast forward now until lap 60. And, you know, it's pretty much going to be the same. Whereas you, the Canada, Baku is quickly becoming like that as well. Um, to a slight, slight extent, Albert Park, um, Spa, you know, you, you know, there's not a single lap goes by where there might not be something happening. Excellent. Well, with Monaco next, I think we can be assured that there's going to be some interesting stuff going on. And I think it'll be interesting to see how um, the, the team's relative pace are. At, at that track, we should see, um, you know, what all of those upgrades that, that came at Barcelona really are um, doing for the cars, irrespective of the engines to some extent, which is always the, the, the funnest part of, of Monaco to some extent. And Roman Grosjean crushing into walls usually, but um, we'll see so, if he manages um, not to do that. Just after, after Spain then, Lewis is 17 points clear at the top of the championship. Valtteri and Kimi... A further twenty and thirty behind um, behind their teammates. Are we already seeing number two drivers? Did we, or was that always I never going to be that in, already? Uh, never going to be in doubt anyway. Um, ah. Yeah, certainly Kimi. I think is um, is always going to be that position. But I know it's interesting. People were saying, "Oh, Valtteri's driving as good as he's ever driven." I know he's had, he's been great at all season so far, and no no team orders and stuff like that. But then you look at the championship after. What, four or five races, and he's nearly forty points behind already. So, you know, and I guess we could say that you know, had Baku gone the way that it should have gone, he'd have. Yeah, um, that's F one, isn't it? I suppose you're right. Um, but it doesn't help him because it means that he needs to have probably two good races whilst Lewis has two poor ones, um, or you know, one race win whilst Lewis DNFs or something, or goes that's very thing, very low. The thing about Lewis is he's got this record at the moment, doesn't he? The consecutive points finishes that he took off of Kimi. It's not DNF and ever. Um, his consistency is what's dragged him back up there, even when he was having kind of bad weekends towards the start of the re- season. He was always he was still finished the third, fourth, and then he obviously got he got fortunate in Baku. The consistency from him has been it's been outstanding. Um both from him and the team. Uh so that's something else that, you know, we all talk about his one lap pace and his 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 general lightning speeds that he can have at, at certain racetracks, but his consistency has been been right up there as well. Yeah, true, true. Does anybody believe that the Red Bull can get anywhere near the the title fight, or is that just a, a pipe dream? That uh, I think we lost there? it this this race, didn't? Did we not? It kind of feels like if if you're going to compete, then you have to you have to be fighting on tracks like Barcelona, where the teams know the you know everything about it sort of back to front and it's yeah. not a not an extreme circuit um I think yeah, if you're significantly almost... behind there then you're probably not you don't have a world championship winning car i think it's fair to say yeah i think we're almost in that position of um waiting for next year again for a shot at the title which they seem to be in every yeah year. it's just no man's land in third where they're comfortably ahead of everybody else but they just can't really consistently challenge the top two. 
the Antwerp. one season didn't they, where they came they came back sort of halfway through the season didn't they they suddenly brought a load of rafts and then they sort of jumped ferrari to to be closest to chasing mercedes but then couldn't follow it up the next year and that seems that they've never sort of recovered from that really that they've never been able to find that much pace jump again and that can't all just be down to the renault engine can it no i don't think so i don't i think i think um Whilst the Renault engine is clearly the third best engine, I don't think there's any doubts about that. Uh, I think I think you can make a fair case that the Red Bull's also got the third best chassis, even though everybody thinks, oh, it's Red Bull, they're an aero team, you know? They were an aero team 10 years ago, and they, they still do have a good aero team for sure. But I don't, I don't think it's as maybe quite as good as people think it is, just because of past, you know, glories under different aero rules. But there's an interesting stat just in the, in the uh, Drivers' Championship there that Fernando Alonso is only one point behind Max Verstappen. <laughs> Do not, I, I thought you'd like that one. You know, after everything that's gone on, all the oh, McLaren, they can't even get away with Q2, man. They're still rubbish. And Max Verstappen, the, the future of F1, and Fernando's only one point behind him in the championship. I think if you know, I think there was an, the, the thing that I got from McLaren this this race was you know essentially when you you look at how qualifying all finished, you, you essentially had Fernando in in um, in P ten really and and Van Dorn in P eleven, which is a good sign because it means that they're they're on the cusp of being like Q three consistent. Um, and that the the team that cracks that this season will be the team that becomes best of the midfield. Do you know what I mean? It's yeah, of course, yeah. It, it, at the moment, it's Haas, but whether they they can hold on to that, I think, is another thing. So, um, if we're talking, well, you know, successive updates and bits and pieces, that's clearly better form from the car consistently than that they've had at any other race this season. Problem Haas have got is that Grosjean keeps putting it in the wall. <laughs> they're quick. They've clearly got a quick car, but they're half. They've got half the points in McLaren and Renault. They're on forty for McLaren, nineteen for Haas because Grosjean can't get to the end of the race and score any. So he, that needs to we we come full circle from the start of the of the show. <laughs> talking back about Roman Grosjean, he needs to step it up. Excellent. Well, I think that covers everything that we could possibly talk about from Spain, realistically. Um, I think we stretched it out very, uh, you know, as well as we could possibly be expected. So um, let's uh, let's move on uh, and, and look forward to Monaco. So thank you very much, Nikki, for joining us. Um, okay. Do you want to remind everybody um, where to, to catch you on the internet? Oh, yeah. Let me just get my list ready. <laughs> <laughs> the ever-growing... <laughs> You can find me uh, on Twitter at Nikki Holdenby and um, at Lightout F1 blog, and you can find my writing on lightoutblog.com and badgergp.com. Hello? Oh. <laughs> ah, sorry. Everything um, went very quiet for me then for a second. Um, yeah. Nikki just finished plugging his badger uh, thing and then oh, sorry. Just, uh, <laughs> I think it cut out I think it cut out on my audio so I couldn't I couldn't hear him finish. Sorry, it keeps doing that to me as well. Oh. Discord, sort sort your stuff out. <laughs> um, so thank you, Sean, also for for being a 
a good co-host as always in getting us through Spain. <laughs> I'll try. I do try. <laughs> it's, just, it's just never been one of my favourite tracks, let's be honest. Eh? But nice. We've done it. We've persevered and we're moving on to brighter and better things. So, <laughs> uh, yeah, if everyone wants to follow my, my Twitter, it's uh, at FireboltWillow. Uh and I'm not going to plug my own one because I can't be bothered. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I post on the uh, at last lap podcast one almost as if it's my own Twitter anyway. So f- follow me, follow the podcast. It's all, all in one package. Uh, so thanks very much for listening, guys. Uh, catch us on our F1 banter episode, which will be coming up uh, in the next couple of days. Uh, and then we will see you after Monaco. Bye-bye. Goodbye. Bye.